here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Dosta, and today I'd like to talk about Tantra. And the few things we can talk about here in relation to Tantra might be considered additional comments, additional stories and techniques. And that is in addition to the episode we had which we called an introduction to Tantra. So for a broad overview of the principles of Tantra, I suggest you listen to that episode before listening to this. Here we can add on some extra supplements, some additions, which I sincerely hope you, you'll enjoy. And there really is so much to say. There is so much in the world of Tantra under this broad category, Tantra. So what you'll hear today, what we're talking about now, is by no means exhaustive. And we take a few from a few things from different categories. We can have stories, we can have the psychology, we can have the history, and we can have the techniques, the practical, do-it-yourself, step-by-step, what do you do with the techniques. So I think to begin with, how about a story? Would you like to hear a story? A Tantra story? Let me see if we can think of one which illustrates some ideas which we might find interesting. There is a Zen monk and he's been studying Zen for many years. And he's well versed in the world of meditation and religious traditions that involve transformative practice, meditative practice, becoming one with existence, transcendence, opening to reality, personal understanding, self-knowledge, these sorts of things. And he lives in this monastery with a bunch of other monks. He's got his teacher and he's got his chores and he's got his meditation processes and habits and he's done all sorts of things. But this particular monk one day has an epiphany. And this is not an epiphany like your average Zen monk. This is not a Zen monk kind of insight or revelation. Because this Zen monk has the epiphany one day that he stands up and he says, you know what, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of being a monk. I've had enough of celibacy. I want to live this isn't life. I want to enjoy myself at least a, 
at least for some time before I die. Tired of sitting here on this meditation stool. I'm tired of being alone. And you know what? I've I'm done with it. I'm leaving this monastery. I'm going to go out and I'm going to do all the things that I've been told I shouldn't do by my religion. And the monk rebels. He gets up and he walks straight out, right in the middle of it. And he goes off on his journey, on his quest to fulfill himself. But very soon after he's left, he realizes, of course, quite wisely, that there are many things which the meditative path has brought him which he'd like to take with him. There are many truths and many insights and many revelations that are a part of him and that he would not want to give up. And so it happens, he learns that there is a other way which is not just hedonistic, as in a way of the world, but there is a way to incorporate his meditative life into what he wants, which is this urge to really live, to really enjoy himself, an urge to break out. And during his quest, he he hears of Tantra. And of course, the things he hears, hears are only rumors and ideas and they're a little bit flimsical and he never really quite meets anyone who really knows what Tantra is. And he gets this idea as he's searching for a place to learn Tantra that he's going to have a lot of sex. He's going to find somewhere where he can have sex. And he can finally experience something of the real world, of the real tangible world. And he thinks, wow, this is great. I'll learn Tantra and I'll be able to be meditative and have awareness and I'll have free sex. I'll be able to have sex with all these beautiful women. I'll be able to find these beautiful women and indulge in my pleasure. Indulge in my sensory titillation, the tickling of the organ. (laughs) And he has this idea and he learns that there is a Tantra monastery and he makes his quest towards the monastery with this idea that he's going to have all this pleasure and all this joy when he gets there. And he treks up, treks along. It's a long way to get to this monastery. And he walks up the steps and he knocks on the door. And he thinks, this is it. This is the Tantra monastery. This is where I've heard the monks go to have themselves pleasured. This is where all my sexual desires will be fulfilled. This is where I'll finally be able to integrate my sexuality without a religious tradition suppressing me and yet still be able to use my awareness techniques and my meditation. And he knocks on the door, and he's quite tired from his journey, and he has to wait a little while, but eventually the door opens. 
And standing there in the door is an old lady. And she has a wart on her nose. She has saggy skin. She's a little bit overweight. She's got some rashes, some bruises. Her muscles and her bones are contorted. She's a little bit hunched over. And even her robes are quite tattered. And her hair's a mess, grey old hair. Some teeth missing and a crooked smile. And the Zen monk looks her up and down. And of course she takes a look at the Zen monk. And this Zen monk was still quite young, quite fit. These men that do these Zen trainings, they have a lot of mastery over their body. They're quite flexible, quite strong, have a lot of endurance. And he's been traveling around, so he's in very good shape. And he says to this woman, I've come here to learn Tantra. And she says, Can you make love to me? And there in that moment, in this story, in this picture of the Zen monk and the old lady, who by many measures is ugly, is one of the fundamental principles of Tantra, which is this way of seeing everything as the same. This way of making everything the same. And you think of pleasure, you think of sexual pleasure as, oh, I have this idea of what I like. I have this sense of what will give me pleasure. And I just need to get that and then I will have pleasure. Whereas in Tantra, we remove the discrimination, we remove the duality, and we collapse all things into one thing, so as that everything is pleasure. And in the case of this Zen monk in this Zen monastery, he was thinking, well, I'll be able to have sex with everyone. And in a sense, that is correct. There is something in open sexuality which can be included in a Tantra approach to expanding awareness. Because you see, you see what the, the assumption that, that was burst, that was popped, the bubble that was popped in the Zen monk when he had this elderly lady say to him, can you make love to me? Which was that he was thinking, well, I can have sex with anyone, but his idea of everyone wasn't big enough. And you say, 
free sex, well, I can be open to everyone. Well, really? Do you include everyone? So this flattening of the discrimination of what gives you pleasure is one of the principles of Tantra. And this curious thing happens when you do this, even for just a little bit. When you go around and you're open to everyone, really, and and, and especially when they're ugly, especially when there's someone that repels you, then it doesn't have to just even be physically repulsive. It might be energetically or emotionally or psychologically or someone you just don't like. Plain and simple. We don't have to make it complicated. You just don't like them. I just don't want to be around you. It's just, ugh. Even that person you be open to And it doesn't necessarily have to be sexually. It doesn't mean you have to go up and (laughs) offer them free sex. No, there's still still boundaries. There are still calculations. We go into this work of Tantra and we explore these ideas still with awareness, still with protecting ourselves, but still with this openness, with this, even the intention, oh, let me accept you. Let me allow you in. Allow me to have your condition, your life condition impress upon me. Because when you get close to someone, that's really what's happening. You're sharing world space. You're sharing what it's like to be them. And for this Zen monk to be making love or to make love to this old, ugly woman is for him to really experience what it's like to be her if she's fragile or if she's smelly or if she's stiff or she's weak. And when when he gets close to her physically, he's going to get more of a sense of that. He's going to become more like her throughout that process. And that's a step towards making two things the same or making all things one thing. Making two things the same is the same as trying to make all things one thing. It's just a different scale. It's just a different amount of detail that you're going into. And this curious thing, which is what I'm trying to get to, This curious thing happens when you try to make all things the same and you're working really, really hard to see everything as one and, oh, yes, everything is pleasurable and you're walking down the street and, oh, I smell some doggy poo. Doesn't it smell like roses? And, oh, look at that fat old lady. Isn't she beautiful and sexy? I'd really like to go to bed with her. And, oh, this person that's really annoying and, yes, we can be the best of friends. And you go through like this and you work on this And you find that the opposite occurs. For everything you push out, there's an opposite reaction. Because you start to see how everything is not one thing. Everything is not the same. In fact, 
everything is very different. Everything is so colourful. Everything is so unique. Everything, every person has their own flavour. Every moment has its own essence. Every day gives birth to a whole rise of new things. And so this Zen monk, if he can manage to make love to this elderly lady and take that as a principle into his studies and he works at it, at some point he is going to meet a gorgeous woman. And that experience of encountering the gorgeous woman will be that more open and colourful and magical because he will be able to see so clearly the difference between this gorgeous woman and the elderly lady. And our basic intuition in life is to, well, let me, ex- let me get away from, let me expel the ugly. Let me avoid the ugly. And let me only focus on the beautiful. Let me only go for what's appealing. And if you do that in a certain way, long enough, then everything becomes a bit flat. Everything becomes a bit gluggy. A bit unsatisfying. And not flat in it in a sense that, oh, you experience this oneness and everything is the same. No, it's not like that. It's a It's a misty sort of, it's unclear. And it feels, feels, can fill you with a sort of boredom. A sort of, ugh. Man, this occurs even in sex. This occurs even in partners. Oh, it's the same old sex. Oh, you're the same old person. Oh, it's the same old routine. It's the same old job. It's the same old life. Ugh. And that comes from not embracing everything and being open to everything really passionately as if it was all, it really was all the same. And of course, this Zen master, this, well, well, this Zen student, I shouldn't say master, I guess he's a student, he's a Tantra student, in our story, he has some experience with this because in meditation, you create something which is one thing. And this is the sense of sitting and watching the breath. All things become related to watching the breath. There is only one thing, which is the sensation in your nose. The air going in and out of your in and out of your nose can be served as contrast to every single thing in existence. And if you go through that list, if we say existence is the list, and the point of contrast is the nose, the air in the nose, or the breath, if you start going through that list, Eventually, you start to see 
how to contrast everything with one thing. So that's at least one story which illustrates this idea of oneness or being the same, everything being the same and yet also everything being different. There is a question that sometimes comes up which is that of homosexuality. And in Tantra, we often talk about the man and the woman, the masculine and the feminine. And Tantra partners are Tantra partners, man and woman. And we might even say, well, Dosta, what about the homosexuals? What about homosexuals? Can they not do Tantra because it's two men or two women? And the answer, of course, is that's incorrect. Homosexual couples can do Tantra because every man is also a woman and every woman is also a man. And we even have talked about, at times, heterosexual couples that reverse the roles where the man is the woman and the woman is the man. And they could even experiment with having them both as men. It's possible for heterosexual couple, couples to embody the homosexual relation. And you'll notice in a homosexual relation, there's, there's, still, it, there's still this principle of polarity and sameness. And in fact... Well, I've never been in a homosexual relationship, so I don't know from my own experience, but I can imagine, or I'm intuitively sort of logically concluding that a homosexual relationship is actually has a lot of opportunities for oneness, for making things the same, for being the same, for trying to be very much the same. And that can be great for a tantra tantra practice and in the story of the the zen monk going to make love to the ugly lady well you can actually learn something about that for heterosexuals and flattening their view which is that the heterosexual person actually does a homosexual act. They do the thing that is most repulsive to them or that is not a turn-on for them. Now, that's a pretty radical idea. That's a pretty radical extreme. It's one thing to make love to if you're a man, it's one thing to make love to a woman who is overweight and ugly. But it's another thing for a man to make love to a man, particularly a man that is very much the same 
same balanced energy, same sort of emotional profile, same sort of body. And when it comes to women, well, women need to be respected. Women need to have a different approach to men, both when it comes to homosexuality and it comes to opening up to people or things or situations which are repulsive to them. Women need to be able to feel safe. So if you're a woman, the advice is definitely not, okay, now I have to start being intimate with ugly, repulsive men who I don't find attractive as a test of my oneness of the universe. No, that is exactly not the right approach. Because remember, we go at this with awareness, incrementally, and we do it without extremes, without saying that an uh, individual principle... Now, here, here is a broad thing, and this is an important fundamental insight you need to remember, that a principle is deceptive because it feels like, or it sounds like, it can be taken to an extreme... Principles are not for extreme experimentation. Principles are for understanding. Principles are for general approaches. Principles are for weaving a web, constructing complex parts of the puzzle. So a principle that underlies everything should not be taken to an extreme. And it might be that you hear this, you hear this principle of, oh, I should make everything one thing. So I'm going to do, I'm going to try and be, get pleasure out of everything and I'm going to go and do all these disgusting things. Like walking down the road to sniff the doggy do, Or chatting up that old ugly lady that you don't like. But no, that's not the correct reaction. The correct reaction is to understand the principle, to see it and how it runs through all things, and then to work with a specifically designed technique and situation which is right for you and where you're at. And you still need to respect your boundaries, respect your safety, respect your understanding, So don't take it the wrong way. And then, of course, the other side of this is, can you see the wisdom of... (laughs) Can you see the wisdom of being gay when you're not gay? Can you be that committed to Tantra? And you you see that in that is the same flip or assumption that the Zen monk had when he turned up at the monastery to learn Tantra. You thought you were getting into Tantra to spice up your your sex life? 
You thought you were getting into Tantra, so, oh, yes, now I can be polyamorous. Oh, and I'll have all this pleasure. Oh, all this wonderful thing. Oh, I'll get really good at sex. Oh, I'll become really, I'll have these massive orgasms. I'll have more orgasms, all these sorts of things. Well, there's a flip side to beauty, and that is ugly. And you can't have one without the other. It's duality. It's, it's polarity. And so beauty in Tantra is working with the ugly. Attraction is working with repulsion. So for a heterosexual male, that means homosexuality. And that's an extreme case. I don't know if anyone's going to be... <laughs> I don't think we're going to have too many, <laughs> too many takers on this, but... So I'll share, I, th- I feel we should share, let me share at least one more sort of some general principles, which are stories to do with nature. And you find in nature that there are these symbols for the man and the woman. And understanding them can be good for seeing what's happening. Now, when it comes to the rocks and the waves on the ocean seaside, the man is the rock and the woman is the waves. The man stands strong. He is stable. He is unmovable. And the woman is the waves that goes all around and crashes and hits and pushes and oh he's just so he doesn't have any feelings oh he just doesn't understand oh he has no emotions this sort of thing and of course it can be the other way around but normally a woman who has big emotions needs a strong rock needs a strong grounding And there is a difference between a man who is closed to her and not taking her emotions and a man who does take her emotions and yet remains grounded. A man who does feel and connect with her and goes with the waves and experiences the full blast of the waves, the full chaos, the full terror, and yet remains firm, remains grounded, that's very different to a man that is closed. That's very different to a man that doesn't have any feelings in a manner of speaking. And I don't mean to... I don't mean to... We're not turning the man and the woman into caricatures here. We're not trying to gender stereotype at all. Because it's not, a, it's not, strictly speaking, man and woman. It's masculine and feminine. And that is in all people, in each of us, in different ways. So it's not only the, the man that can be the rock. It might be the woman. And in some relationships, that is the case. Another time this comes up in nature or another common 
symbol that you'll find of the masculine and feminine is that of the sun and the moon. You can tell which one's which, can't you? The man is the sun because he burns with the passion, with the drive, with the testosterone. And the woman is the moon. The moon receives the light from the sun and reflects it onto the earth. The moon lights up the darkness. The moon is cold. The moon is mysterious. The moon is something you can stare at, you can look into. If you look into the sun, you get burnt. Your eyes get burnt. And often the light that the sun brings is burning or blinding. And there's, there's just too much. There's too much. Calm yourself down. You're being too aggressive. Whereas the moon is very subtle. The moon is very delicate. And the moon just receives. The, the moon takes whatever the sun gives it and reflects it onto the earth. And if you think about the parameters or the, I don't want to say parameters, I want to say the, the qualities, the poetic qualities of the sun and the poetic qualities of the moon, then you can see that they are in the man and the woman. And if you want to be more like a man, be more like the sun. And if you want to be more like a woman, be like the moon. And if you can understand that, then you're well on your way to understanding the masculine and the feminine. So now I'll share a practical trick, which is to do with boundary dissolving. And this is experiential, and you can do it at home yourself. And if you've got some sensitivity, and you're open to body work and massage and skin sensitivity and these sorts of things, which you should be if you're opening to Tantra, then this will be great. The best way I can think to do it is to work with the thigh. So your thigh muscle can be rubbed in a certain way as that you get some feeling there. And so you can get your partner to do that for you. And then what you do is you get your partner to, you can get an object, preferably a pillow, and you place it next to your thigh. And as they rub your thigh, they move over and then rub the pillow. And they rub the pillow in the same way. And you watch. You observe it. You watch them rub the pillow back and forward. Now, a pillow is usually quite easy to get into a similar sort of shape as your thigh, which is why I've used this body part as an example. And you can line it up and 
get them to then move over to the thigh, to the pillow, and then back onto your thigh. And if you have to be gradual with it, you have to take your time with it, but you can then move back and forth between... In, it's better if you use a partner for this because you have your sense of touch. If you use your own hand, it doesn't quite work, but you get a similar sort of effect. But then you move back and forth, and what you find is there's a point where they are rubbing both your thigh and the pillow, and that boundary starts to dissolve, and you actually start to feel the pillow when your partner is rubbing the pillow. Now that exercise can then, when, once it's practiced, now remember there's, there's an element of practice here, of training. Once you've done it at least a few times, you'll then be able to have this translate over into your connection with your partner because you can then have your thigh touching close to your partner's thigh and you can rub them both at the same time and merge your skin boundary, merge your boundary. Now you see this is very different to a more, what we might say, conventional way of making love, which is that there is my body and I'm using my body to pleasure your body. Or I am touching your body, I'm rubbing your body. And it's me versus you, or me against you, or me in relation to you. And with this thigh technique, with this rubbing both together as if they are one, to merge them, it's almost like you're touching your own body. And in a way, you can, you can even start by rubbing your own body. You start by rubbing yourself, and then merge and slowly move into touching your partner in that same way. Now, the thigh is a good body part to start with because it's not quite as sensitive as, hey, say, something like the tongue or the lips. <laughs> and you can even do the same with the back. And sensitizing the insensitive or the the less sensitive parts of the body that's another technique there's something in that as well i don't know if i should fully explain that but even just just this one technique of the the thigh and the pillow and touching in such a way is that you merge them and you can you slowly expand them and you move from this thing of Oh, it's touching you or touching the object and then touching the object or touching you and then slowly moving back and forth so the difference can be felt and then finding that in-between place, that in-between spot. That is a technique which you can explore many different things in. You can explore in many different ways with all sorts of body parts. And it all comes back to this principle of oneness. This principle of two things actually being the same thing. So can you imagine that when there's two people in the bedroom, 
They are actually one person playing with themselves. And this technique can give you a sense of that. It can give you a, a start as to how to experience that and to, how to play around with that. So there's another thing to do with objects, which I'll quickly mention, and that is the... <laughs> well, th th this is the, st the strap-on. So this object, which is used by women to embody the man, is the same... It, it, it's the same sort of principle, but not exactly the same as this thigh-rubbing technique. It's more... It's more... Well, it's more like kinesthetic pro pro projection. So if you understand kinesthetic projection, then that's what's happening with the strap-on or the dildo for the woman. And, and actually, the thigh merging with the pillow is a way of opening to how to have kinesthetic projection. So if a man and a woman are together, and the woman wants to embody the man, and she's using objects, then a man, the man or whoever the other partner is, should be treating that object as if it is a part of whoever is using that object. Which means the man should treat the woman like she's got a... Well, you know what, if she's wearing a strap-on. <laughs> it's, it's a bit hard to have these sorts of conversations without being crude <laughs> or without being blunt. <laughs> I don't know if there's really much point in hiding, the, hiding what we're talking about. <laughs> so object and the, the boundary dissolution there is, well, it's, that's what's happening. So now the kids outside have started playing with a, I think, some kind of go-kart or skateboards, something. So I'm a little bit distracted. We did have more techniques, but I think I'll wrap it up because I just wanted this to be a quick episode. So consider the parable of the Zen monk turning up at the Zen monastery. Experiment with rubbing pillows and your th thighs and understand that the woman and the man is the rock and the waves and the moon and the sun. And if you're not gay, turn gay. No. <laughs> I'm just playing. You can do what you want. Advice given without warranty. <laughs> okay, so let's finish with a few minutes of quiet silence. And let's just listen to some ambience. So if it's comfortable for you to do so, stop what you're doing. Sit down somewhere quietly. And close your eyes. Relax. Take a few deep breaths 
and just sit quietly for a few moments. Remain alert. Remain sincere. Don't become drowsy. Remain attentive with what is exactly happening right now. What is happening right now? What can you hear? What can you smell? Are your thoughts distracting you? Or are your thoughts part of what's happening right now? And just take a few minutes to remain in this alertness in silence. And that's all I have to say for now.